When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the wrap up, uh, the Raptors Republic post game show, and we are back on YouTube, which is really the most exciting news we got. I don't know if you knew this, Samson, but YouTube said enough of those highlights. Uh, we got to make a case to the NBA. I guess the NBA said it was okay. I'm not exactly sure, but today YouTube is back, which is very very exciting for us. Obviously, have with me Samson Folk from. Raptors Republic, who obviously does the post-game podcast most nights. Tonight, it will be this. Uh, also got Don Yang producing the show for us behind the scenes. And we just watched an absolute stinker of a game where the Raptors lost 114-105 to the Portland Trailblazers, which was, I mean, between this, I'll ask you, Samson. This is a really good question, I have to say. <laughs> between this and opening night, which game was worse? from a Raptors perspective. Well, this one, right? Because, you know, Pascal is there and there isn't an expectation of, you know, coming into that game, the Wizards had played the Raptors in preseason and they got a pretty good feel of like, okay, what's going to happen in this game? And all of the Raptors weaknesses were on display and like the contextual roster building weaknesses, the, the limitations of the players. But in this game, what we saw was just a complete inability to function as NBA players often do in an NBA game. And so seeing guys you know that have like a penchant for success at the NBA level completely seemingly forget how to do that, that is that is disappointing. This game for me, watching these guys come back into it was almost like, I don't know, exercise because it's so mentally yeah. draining to be like, ugh, these guys are going to lose and they're just killing themselves to get back. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and you just said it at the end, like, not only is it mental exercise, it's also physical exercise for a group that is playing an insane amount of minutes. And like, just there was a point in the fourth quarter with about eight minutes left where the Blazers brought it back up to 20. And it was like, just pull the starters. We got a game in a couple days. Raps have a bunch of games actually coming up. I think two back to backs next week. So it's like, you know, we could we could go that route or we could go the fake comeback route. And we all know it's going to be a fake comeback. And that's what happened. So, I mean, just so the viewers know, we're going to talk a little bit about this game, but it was awful. So we don't want to count it too much. And then we're going to get into more bigger philosophical stuff with the Raptors, uh, bigger storylines ahead of the trade deadline. So let's let's if Don, you could pull up those two clips from the end of the game, we can start with uh either the Barnes pass or or the Simons three and then kind of get into what went wrong for the Raptors within their fake comeback, which, you know, it, it was inevitable. And this is like something that we've talked about a lot as Raptors fans. First, we'll do the good. I mean, this pass is just, you know, he picked the perfect guy out here. You You saw Barnes get the ball in the post right here. And I don't know about you, but I thought, okay, here's a rookie with a mismatch. He's probably going to 
be a little over aggressive, get a little sped up here, even though it's Scotty Barnes and, and try to score himself. And instead he makes a really good read to Trent. What do you think about this play? Yeah, initially when he got the ball, I was actually, I thought he was taking a little bit too long to process the read. But if a read is really good and the ball goes in, then like, hell yeah, all the time. You can see Delano Banton obviously super stoked about it. But uh, that's basically all it is, is when you're getting pressure, especially like reading the defense from the bottom up instead of the top down is a completely separate thing that you have to do. And Scotty picked out the perfect guy. It wasn't truly like zoning up against him, but he saw the guy coming down. He knew he was going to get a dig. And then he kind of expected where are these guys going to rotate to when I move the ball. And he picked, you know, the, the high percentage shot as far as who he's getting it to. And, you know, obviously credit to Gary Trent Jr. for hitting the shot. I mean, he hit too late and that was a big deal. Yeah, no, I just thought in within the scheme of the game, that was a really good read because I didn't see it. Like when I was watching the game, I did not see the Trent lane open up as well as Scotty saw it. So that was a really nice pass. And then on the other end of the floor, just a couple play later, couple plays later, uh, the Raptors just kind of get burned for being the Raptors, I guess you could say. And we just talked about this a little bit off air, but you know, the Raptors fell into a 34 point hole in this game. They kind of had no choice. I mean, they had to pick up the aggression on the defensive end. That led to some steals for the Raptors. That led to some transition buckets for the Raptors. But it ultimately led to a whole lot of this as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll just ask you, like, did you think the Raptors' defense got a little too aggressive late in this game? Was there a point in this game, in the fourth quarter, that, you know, here the score is four? It's a four-point game. Was there a point that they could have maybe still dialed it back a little bit and just started to play it straight up maybe earlier than they did yeah i think that's like that's what i was saying like prior to us actually recording right is that if you're in this position in a normal game and you're not doing like the full court press or three-quarter court press and you know you're you're relying on these guys to get into spots and you play maybe your base defense or something closer to it if you're down four with like a minute and a half left you're probably going to play it straight up and say if we hit a shot, then it's a one possession game and you trust your guys to go out there. The Raptors have had a really good clutch time offense so far this year. And you say they're going to hit a shot. We're going to get back into it. But under nor- normal circumstances, if you gave up a wide open corner three, the Raptors would be irate in sense with themselves. Like this is not a shot we can give up in a close late game. But in this one, you look at, OK, I, I guess this is what we're doing late in the game. This is the type of shot we give up because we have to surrender it. I don't think you're in that type of position. And I think they overplayed their hand a little bit because once you got all the way back in, then you say, okay, we're here. The rust is kind of off and we're scoring a lot of it. Pascal just beating guys in isolation and getting to the rim. So you can say, well, given that Pascal keeps getting the edge, given that Gary and Fred are hitting a couple threes late, why don't we see if we can play these guys straight up because we aren't fully dependent on the transition looks anymore or the turnover to, you know, layup looks. And I think that was probably a mistake to keep playing that, you know, that full court press and that kind of stuff. And like to double that high and then especially on that side of the ball, when OG is on Nurkic, if OG, you know, leaves Nurkic to go there and they're stretched out on the other side, it's like they either get a layup or a wide open three. It's just a losing game. And in a four point game, you don't have to play a losing game. Just play your base defense and see what happens and try and score. But yeah, so I had some qualms with that. I didn't really like it, but. Them's the breaks, no. I guess. 
it was incredibly frustrating to watch like this is you can do that stuff and it's gonna work against like this is a very young team that they were playing with a lot of unproven guys with all the injuries that portland has but and that's gonna work and that's gonna get you some steals like it did in this game but eventually they're gonna get used to it like they did like they got more and more comfortable with those traps as as the game kind of went on even though they they had another steal like with a few seconds left but regardless like they were getting more comfortable passing out of those doubles and finding the corner man. And even like you said, there was times when, you know, the low man would cheat and then they would Nurkic would just get an open dunk. So as the game went on, it was clear that Portland was coming more comfortable, but the Raptors didn't adjust. And really this might be like a good transition to the Raptors team, which is like, they play this aggressive style of defense. It's not always this aggressive, but they do play an aggressive style of defense and it works a lot of the times but a lot of the times it doesn't and they don't have any counter, right? They don't have any traditional big man, for example, that they can put in there, maybe play a drop uh, and not even necessarily play a drop, but just have a guy in there who you don't now need to double the post, stuff like that. And I think that this game, like even though not every game is an indictment on the Raptors, we should be clear about that. This was obviously like a pretty unorthodox game in terms of their effort and everything. But this was a pretty clear example of a team that has pretty major roster holes and can only really play one style. Wouldn't you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, especially, you know, you look at what they're limited to offensively as well, because we've seen, I guess, like, I don't know, four full quarters because, you know, the Blazers didn't play zone the whole game, but the largest parts of this game were successful because the Blazers did play zone and the Raptors were completely, they couldn't do anything against the zone in the most depressing way possible. And defensively, you see against guys like Anthony Simons and CJ McCollum, you know, these are guys, especially CJ, who would maybe typically kill a, a drop defense. And so mm-hmm. maybe that's not the fix, but you're absolutely correct in saying that they have one tap defensively. Many of the best teams have several that they can turn on a bunch of different looks and the Raptors don't have the personnel to play anything other than this frenetic breakneck style. And there's severe drawbacks to playing that type of basketball. And especially when you face a bunch of different teams that throw different looks at you, you are less able to stop a wider variety of teams because some teams will dominate in one play style. Some teams really, really are great at beating the switch. Some players are right. Luka Doncic, you know, is probably the best example. And the Raptors, they can't quell those types of problems on the roster until they have a guy who can legibly play like drop defense or something like that. Or even as far as getting out in transition or pseudo transition, having a big guy to clear out space and, you know, kind of fix some of their defensive rebounding issues. It's really tough to see a team that has to go like 40 minutes per game, has to switch, has to pressure, has to do all that. And if they even, if they come out even just a little bit flat, against the Portland Trailblazers team without Dame or a Detroit Pistons team, they get stomped because their roster construction is so funky that they can't just lean back on like normal doldrums NBA basketball. They have to play this super intense style. And after they kill themselves trying to do it against some of the contenders in the league, when they have these kind of lay down games, you know, coming back and into Canada again, you know, you have the the arena that's empty and they're maybe just thinking, let's chill, let's beat the Blazers. It should be a cakewalk. 
you still have to play this insane defense that is just never a cakewalk. You can't like you can't just lock and trail and fall a guy into a paint and then he has to hit a shot over a contesting big. It's it's just never that easy. You have to lock and then you have to X out to the corner and then that guy's lifting to above the break and then the guy from the corner stepping in. It's just like that's really tough to do in the games where you just want to kind of chill and catch your breath. So that's why we keep seeing this, I think. Yeah, and not just in the games, but also for 48 minutes, like you said. Like It's one thing to do that at times when you're you can't get stops and you want to you want to change it up and play you know a five minute stretch where you go to that defense and that's why i have always argued that that is a viable defense or or that defense has utility in this league for sure but it's not it it doesn't have utility when it's all you can play for 48 minutes for 82 games right and that's like what you you mentioned Doncic. Doncic is another good example of someone who tore apart that defense and the Raptors had no good counters to, to Doncic. This was another good, I just noticed your name, by the way, good, good job on that. I just uh, took that in on the other end of the floor. Um, unless you have more thoughts, but we'll actually get back to it. You mentioned the zone, uh, the, the heat, who, who did we just play that? Mm-hmm. Or no, the wizards though, I was going to say also went to a zone and really stomped the Raptors even though they won that game. What is it, in your opinion, about the Raptors that is so bad at breaking that zone? Is it just like a lack of, of outside shooting or is it? does it go beyond that? So it's a couple things. There's like a, a strange inter or inflection point is that Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam are probably skill set wise the best options to um, either be the zone buster on the outside you know, they, they run those screening plays for Fred Van Vliet. You can see, like, Pascal get the ball on the left side of the court. Fred will be, like, running almost a wheel route across two staggers, and Pascal will try to hit him in space for a three. Like, that's a set zone play that the Raptors run. But as far as beating a zone, OG hasn't been shooting the three well lately. Scotty Barnes hit threes in this game, but he doesn't change how his zone moves. He doesn't change how his zone respects. And, like, either Precious or Chris, they don't do that either, despite Chris's nice run of form shooting is that the the guys you want to have the ball are the guys who are most equipped to bust a zone and it's tough to trust the other guys to put them in the right positions to do so so pascal given you know how he works in the middle of the floor how he can you know pass from that spot on the floor and his comfortability in pressure because og ananobi as far as skill set and stuff like that scotty barnes as far as skill set they actually can probably become good zone busters too. But Pascal is certainly the most comfortable in that spot. But he has to initiate plays. And he has to, and he's the only guy who's going to make a team step up so that you can use a zone buster in the middle. And the same thing goes for Fred, right? So that their most talented offensive players are also the ones who are probably the most likely to do that. And then, you know, compounding with that is OG's struggles from downtown. And then obviously Scotty. He's getting for the first time, and this is the big thing about that Wizards game too, right? Is that he's getting for the first time in his career, like really strange looks in the NBA and for an extended period of time. And in the NBA, teams will run what works until it doesn't. And so the Raptors, what they got was a full fourth quarter against the Wizards where they scored only 18 points and won. So like good for them. But then they get basically two and a half quarters of just zone from the Trailblazers and score like point three four points per possession and they didn't really ever figure it out it was just kind of like the lackadaisical nature of the game that allowed the raptors to start scoring and then accompanied with that was 
you know, Pascal's insatiable taste for the rim in this one to kind of bring the Raptors up back towards it. So they have some of the skill set, but they don't have the process to kind of unleash that skill set on these zones. And then it's also like, where's the skill set placed on the roster? And that makes it extremely difficult to beat a zone. And maybe like, maybe they will get into it and maybe it will improve going forward. But if I was a team going to play the Raptors, I would, <laughs> I would run a zone like for a, a yeah. lot of possessions. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, like they clearly, you know, the Blazers clearly watched that Wizards game and came into this one and right off the bat where we're playing that two, three zone against the Raptors. And yeah, I mean, this is kind of why, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is to talk about this, you know, as the Raptors approach the trade deadline, um, I've seen kind of different takes on totally different ends of the spectrum in terms of some people think this is a team. You look at the offensive and defensive rating, it shows you that this is a pretty good offensive team, pretty bad defensive team. And so therefore they should look to bolster the roster defensively in some way. Um, but I don't think like it's as clear as that. And you'll, I'm sure, agree with me. And I think it's it's more complicated when it comes to whether or not this team needs an offensive punch or a defensive punch. So I asked you this on your uh, podcast, which you did a Q&A podcast recently with Raptors Weekly Podcast, and you gave me a good answer. And yours was that you are more concerned about the offense in a potential playoff series if the Raptors were to go there. We just kind of talked a little bit about that in terms of the zone, in terms of the lack of three-point shooting. Sorry, yours was... No, my bad. Yours was the defense. <laughs> yeah, the, your, your answer was the defense. So why don't you elaborate on that answer for people who didn't hear it? And then I will maybe give you a rebuttal and, and we can go from there. Okay, so basically it is kind of what we talked about earlier with the Raptors not being, you know, adjustable or malleable defensively and that they're going to be put in positions where, um, and especially like with this scramble style defense and with the shortening of rotations, you know, Ellaby had a good game today, but Ellaby is also a guy that like if the ball goes to him in the corner in a playoff series, you're pretty happy with that. And if you put players like that in the pressure cooker, and that's kind of what the Raptors regular season defense is supposed to do is supposed to put teams and role players in positions where they have to put the ball on the floor and they have to go through all the progressions. And that uncomfortability is how the Raptors get steals and get runouts and kind of supplement their transition, which they've been a fantastic transition uh, team all year. When you shorten rotations, the more comfortable everybody starts to get putting the ball on the floor. And like, that's the thing that makes me really wonder about the Raptors defense is that there is no more low-hanging fruit to pluck. It's just the high-hanging fruit. And the Raptors can't scramble around and defend all that. Like, like even the Raptors, when they were in the bubble, what broke their back? The fact that Marcus Smart shot really well from three, that completely crushed them. They were completely well-equipped to kind of stagnate Tatum's drives if they overloaded. You know, Kemba Walker started getting loose in pick and roll, so they put OG as the center so that he could switch and he could play there. But at the end of the day, they had to collapse and they had to allow something. And the fact that, you know, Marcus Smart was the guy, you know, some some seasons he's not going to shoot that good. Some seasons he is. But the fact that they were giving a high level player lots of reads, lots of looks. That's the thing about this. You know, if they play the Bulls in the first round, for example, like Ayo Desumu in the in the regular season, he might make like 18 reads more than he expects to in a game. But in a playoff series, 
that could just end up being like DeMar or Zach. And that's where the Raptors, mm-hmm. on the one hand, you're like, okay, they sure they can play good defense, but this is a defense that tries to really feast on role players. And as soon as you enter the context of the playoffs, role players immediately get way better because it's the good teams with the good role players, A, and B, you know, there's less minutes. There's a shorter rotation. So that that's my big hang up with the the defense in the in the playoffs. Yeah, no, and I thought that was a really good answer when you gave it on the podcast. Like you're right. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, it was. Like you're right that rotations will shrink and that we've already seen a lot of examples this season of good teams picking apart this style of defense because guys can just move the ball and and they know how to make the right read quickly enough. And obviously the ball moves quicker than the defenders. So if you do that often enough, you're going to be able to kind of beat this defense. I think though, like on a, on a grander scale though, I would say the offense is more of a concern for me. And I mean, it's hard to like take anything from one gamer. I think the bulls are a pretty good example of a team that would pick the Raptors apart defensively. So like, that's a very concerning matchup to me with this being said, But here's what I'll say about that argument. Like, first of all, in the playoffs, the defense, the physicality will pick up. And I I think that really benefits the Raptors. Like, if you think about the beginning of this season, just the ability to keep contain guys a little bit better and pick and the foul calls be a little less touchy, like we're kind of seeing in the regular season. We know that in the defense, the refs let more go. So I think that would benefit the Raptors. And I I think that their play style on the defensive end is very well suited to, I guess, a playoff whistle. Maybe that's a small thing, but I think that's a thing. And then the other thing is just like you can look, you can go into like offensive rating and defensive rating and obviously like, oh, say the offense is better than the defense, but you break it down. And as as you know, the offense is driven primarily by offensive rebounds and transition buckets like the Raptors have a terrible true shooting percentage they don't shoot effectively they don't shoot very well from three outside of Fred Van Vliet so I think those things are I mean good teams I think can scheme against those things we saw the the Celtics do it in terms of getting back and just completely eliminating the Raptors ability to play in transition in the bubble in that series you kind of referenced and then I I think Offensive rebounds are something I'm I'm still kind of unsure about in terms of how much can teams scheme this out. You can obviously go big and then you can just make it more of a priority in terms of telling everyone to hit the defensive glass. But I, I still think, yeah, the, the Raptors will be a good offensive rebounding team in the playoffs. I just don't know if they'll be like historically good, which is basically what they are this season. They're like the best in the league by a pretty wide margin. So I think that would be my rebuttal. Like, obviously, these they're both, like, not great <laughs> would be, like, the simple answer. Like, neither the defense or the offense are great. But, yeah, what would you say to some of those arguments? The the playoff whistle is, like, a great one. That's that that's a super good counter. And, you know, you have, to, you have to subscribe to some conventional wisdom that that is the case. I do subscribe to that. So, like, yeah, that, that fits as well. As far as the offensive rebounding, um, the Raptors, as you say, are historic, and this is kind of what they plan to do. They saw how limited their roster was. They saw how limited their bench was, and their bench has the lowest defensive rating of all benches. It also has the highest offensive rebounding rating of all benches, and they just don't shoot. They're just out there 
to defend and to get extra possessions for the likes of Fred, Pascal, OG, and Scotty. And so, you know, it's a team that very methodically crafted, you know, this play style after seeing the roster. It's very funky. It's completely new. It's a it's a novel way to to play basketball in some in some respects. And so and they've also done it against all the best teams, all the best defensive rebounding teams in the NBA so far this season in the meaningful tight games and in the looser games as well. So it does seem like it's very much in the Raptors bag and they've played good competition and done it. They've played bad competition and done it. They've just done it. And so the extra possessions I do think will actually be provided they get there a real factor in the playoff games. And it brings that really interesting question, right? Is like we talked about low hanging fruit defensively taking that away and then role players, better role players, like the difference between say, I don't know who's like a, an end of like John Conchar on the Grizzlies attacking a closeout versus like a battle tested Eric Gordon putting the ball on the floor provided he gets traded to a contender or something, right? Like your defense is going to respond accordingly and that matters. The same thing happens with rebounding is like, how does rebounding translate to the playoffs? You see some guys, some bigs or some tweeners really put up these monstrous numbers as rebounders in the regular season. But as soon as the intensity picks up, they aren't able to replicate that against, you know, NBA level defenses in the playoffs. And Kawhi Leonard is a great example of a guy who goes from being, you know, a really strong rebounder in the regular season to just being like, as a wing, one of the best rebounders on the floor in every single minute of every single game in the playoffs. You can't really, it's tough to account for how that ratchets up and who responds accordingly. So, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. I guess it's a hedge. I do think that the offensive rebounding would work as intended, but would it work as much as necessary? That's probably the conversation, but uh, it's tough to say right now, but it's still, you know, I think Pascal, Fred, once he gets out of this funk, OG has also been in a super big funk offensively. Uh, these guys are capable of creating advantage against NBA defenses enough to make me think that, okay, they'll have something. But, yeah. you know, it's tough to say. No, it is. But I think another point uh, on the defense is that, like, obviously the defensive rating is not good but once you factor in injuries and and when they've been healthy it's obviously been a lot better when they've had their guys like obviously let's not take this game into too much of account because it was not a good example on either end but yeah like recently their defense has been a lot better since they got healthy and i also just think as the season goes on if you can assume some semblance of health that chemistry is going to continue to improve and I think the defense will continue to kind of shoot up the boards if they can stay healthy, even if they don't make like a a deal on that end. But yeah, my concern is just like it goes back to that Boston series. And while Fred has improved, Siakam's improved, OG's improved, those things are all true. I still worry about the juice if they have enough juice to beat a locked in playoff defense. And yeah, that would that's still, I think, my biggest worry right now. Uh, when it comes to the Raptors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, this kind of gets us into some deadline talk, which is always fun. And so, I mean, first of all, where are you at with this team? Do you think if you were Masai Ujiri, if you were in that chair, and obviously all these things are assuming price and value, all of that stuff, but would you be looking to add something? Um, would you be just looking to sell? 
would you be pretty happy to stay pat where are you at it depends you know what your core value system is for nba players and like positive inertia and all that kind of stuff for how people progress and so is you know kind of like bottoming out and giving more possessions to scotty in the pick and roll this year more handoff possessions or more strictly post-up possessions is that worth more to you over like let's say a 25 game sample post deadline or something like that than the pressure cooker of the play-in slash playoffs those types of possessions and i would probably lean towards the latter I think that the Raptors have enough good players there. You know, it, it sounds funny after this game. You know, this was a destitute performance. Yeah, It's funny to talk about anything positive afterwards, but this is a team that, you know, you're clearly looking at a very, very strong, especially given the last roughly, you know, like a month and three weeks of Chris Boucher's play, a really, really strong top six. And then Precious Achua kind of factors in as well since his defense has been good. And... Those are like, obviously, everybody has quoted Masai Ujiri's former kind of catch-all, like, got to give these guys a platform. He used it all the time during DeRozan and Lowry's prime there. And eventually, they had the platform, you know, with Kawhi and the one at all. But, you know, I think these guys deserve the platform. I think they deserve the help. And as far as, like, if you're talking about juice, um, it really depends on, like, what a person prefers, obviously. If you're worried about the offense and half-court juice, then you're trying to get a guard, obviously, which is kind of funny because their offense was good with Dragic on the floor and he did provide a little bit of juice, but the defense was really bad. And then if you're somebody like me who thinks that the offense will find its way to the playoffs and will be fine if like a little underwhelming there and you're worried about the defense, especially for the rest of the year, then you're probably looking at a big man that allows them more versatile looks defensively and you know will definitely help them be better equipped to, you know, finish out the regular season rebounding their rebounding the ball and getting into you know winning positions and playing different styles of defense all that kind of stuff yeah but but a big man like some of the ones that we might talk about will also help them on the offensive end right it's not mutually exclusive you get a guy who can put some real pressure on the rim a real lob threat in there it changes the way defenses have to defend the the Raptors. And, you know, that's when they'll start getting their fair share amount of corner threes, which we're obviously not seeing right now. So I think I think the bigs can also help on offense. But, yeah, I'm with you in terms of, like, I think these guys deserve an opportunity. Like, the, I, I think, like, one thing that I've seen brought up a lot is Masai saying play in for what and people bringing that up this year. But I just think like, let's not ignore all the context that comes into these things. Like that was a very specific situation in Tampa Bay. It's different to say. And I also read like this op-ed in the, in the star about how the Raptors are in, like it was called the Raptors are in the worst place a professional sports team could be the middle basically right and it's like these arguments just completely ignore the context of this being one of the youngest teams in the league and actually overperforming and specifically their core players overperforming really heavy and really being brought down by the worst bench in the league so i don't think we can quote play in for what and assume that Masai is not going to want to make the play in tournament this season is what i'm trying to say yeah well it's also like a really salient point is that Masai is a salesman dude like they tried to get Evan Mobley. They're very happy with Scotty Barnes, but they they were like, I don't know what type of package they were away from abandoning this everybody's 6'9 ethos. Right, like right. They're selling this version of the team, and Masai is like 
you know, it's kind of funny that like they can miss the playoffs. They can perform poorly and the guy can be like playing for what? And everybody's like, hell yeah. Okay. Like now we're on board. You know what I mean? He's selling the team. He's selling like this message. And so playing for what isn't so much a mantra to be like repeated over and over, but it's, it's something that like it fit at the time. And especially when you jump into the top four in the lottery, you kind of sit back and say like, well, hell yeah, playing for what? Right. And you look at this team and as far as like (laughs) the op-ed saying they're in the worst place you can be. Hmm. If you have a rookie that looks like he might be a star on his rookie contract, it kind of opens up a lot of avenues to different roster construction. And especially if you have a really strong performing top like five guys and punching up at the top into the future. So, you know, and you can quibble about what you think the potential is of Scotty or, you know, how well he fits next to X and Y, whatever. But um, to just kind of say straight up, like they're in the middle. Isn't this terrible? It's like, so was Memphis, dog. I don't know what you mean. Like, Memphis was in the middle last year, you know? Yeah, you, you there's things to do. To go. You must go from the bottom to the middle to, you have to pass the middle. Um, yeah. But no, like, yeah, what you said about him being a salesman is also true with all the like wing stuff. Yeah, like he says, we want to be a team, a versatile team with all these wings. But um, I think every like pe- person who, who like analyzes this team would agree that like, as as nice as this is, they're not winning a championship with this construction. They are definitely a starting caliber big man away from that plus more. Like I think I think that was clear heading into this season, and I actually think the fact that we're talking about getting that big man now, as opposed to in the in this upcoming offseason, is a credit to the way that these guys have played. And maybe like let's expedite the process a little bit because they're playing so well and that would put them in a better position to succeed. So like you said, your your target is uh, primarily the the big guys as opposed to guards. Are there any bigs who you specifically would like to see the Raptors go after? Okay, so I had said earlier on, you know, I would stop openly clamoring for Rashawn Holmes on the <laughs> podcast because I wanted Rashawn Holmes in the summer. I was one of those people who was like, yeah, this team very clearly needs a big. I'm not out on centers. I think centers are really important in the NBA. I'm I'm not in on the wing agenda. And, you know, like the Raptors have done a really good job of amalgamating, you know, or kind of trying to like, you know, what's cobblestone, cobble together, you know, the idea of a center by yeah. committee. And they've done a pretty good job of it. But the thing is, like, it's still very clearly missing that presence. And so Rashawn Holmes, Jakob Pertl, I talked about it on the podcast. Like they just played the Wizards and the Wizards smacked the hell out of them in the minutes that Daniel Gafford played. And the Wizards defensive potency is actually so the collinearity between Daniel Gafford and Wizards defense equals good is so strong that the fact that they don't play them, I think, is a criminal offense damn near. And if like Gafford, Pirtle, Holmes, any of those guys are available for something that's not, you know, like a huge amount of assets or whatever else, then I think that's something you could pursue and look at, especially like Pirtle is the high, high end defensively. Pirtle is the guy who everyone has been willing to say, oh, he's like a defensive player of the year, dark horse, but nobody would ever write that on paper. They'd only tweet it out. They would never vote it, but he's a hell of a defender. And then with Rashawn and Gafford, especially Rashawn, you're looking at it kind of changes how 
defenses have to play the Raptors in the pick and roll, whether it's Pascal, Scotty, OG, or Fred handling. Rashawn, he takes all the shots that Precious passes up, and he turns that into like a 60-40 chance at a bucket. And that is really, really meaningful for the Raptors. And so mm-hmm. just getting and like also Rashawn has been a good switch defender. He's been good in like the court coverage schemes for a really long time. And the drop has been not something super successful, but something that he's been able to do. He's uh, for for my money, he's been hovering around a top 10 center um, for a couple of years now. I know a lot of people aren't that high on him, but. Rashawn, Pirtle, Gafford, somebody of that ilk, I think is somebody, if you get them, I mean, hell yeah, that's a great look for the Raptors. Yeah. So like um, Masai talks about like flexibility a lot and people kind of poke fun at it because they talked about flexibility with not signing Ibaka and Boucher or Ibaka and Gasol to long-term deals. Basically they wanted to sign Giannis. So they didn't sign those guys to long-term deals and then they talked about flexibility when it came to keeping Kyle Lowry through the deadline and then obviously kind of waiting to the offseason to have more flexibility and they did what they did with it but I do think this trade deadline more than any I've remembered uh with the Raptors in the past five six years they really are flexible in terms of they haven't shown their cards you know what I mean like teams do not they're not desperate to buy or sell teams don't know which way they want to go and they seem pretty they seem like to me like they're in a good position to pounce but uh, but they're also not in a good like position to overpay so i think if any of the guys you mentioned like for me the price would be like if you can get one of those guys for like the equivalent of a first round pick and and expiring i think you definitely go after that you know i think once it gets into the two first round picks or precious plus a first round pick that's where i'm a little I have a harder time getting there but interesting that you left Miles Turner off what what's your thoughts on Turner why do you not mention him in the same ilk as those guys uh j- just because I think that he requires a higher cost that maybe the Raptors okay. wouldn't be able to meet that right. other teams probably would be willing to meet like the Raptors are just in the they emptied out the cupboard of assets of like you know, players that they drafted in certain slots that overperformed and then they traded and all that kind of stuff. And then also Gasol, Ibaka, Leonard, Green all left the team without anything coming back. So they don't have as big a cupboard of assets as maybe like other teams do. So that's the only reason uh, is just I think I don't think they could get them. Got it. Yeah, no, you're, you're probably right. But there has been some interesting reporting around Pirtle. Uh, no, he's just in my face. Turner. <laughs> I, I was listening to Sam Vecini's podcast, and I forget the beat writer who covers the Pacers and Miles Turner. He was talking about how, you know, their original price was two first-round picks, but he was saying how they might have a tough uh, tough go getting that because of this, this injury now. It's going to keep him sidelined through the trade deadline. So I don't know. Like, if that price falls, I'm – definitely hopping on that but yeah there are there's like a lot of teams that could use miles turner so i get why this idea is that there's probably going to be like a battle to get him but i don't understand why like Pirtle would go for less than turner you know what mm-hmm. i mean on his contract like that just seems like they seem like they're in the same stratosphere to me yeah well they certainly they are to you know they're there's like blogger players, there's like analytics players, and like Pirtle absolutely falls under the umbrella of like an analytics darling. 
And uh, especially since he shoots bad from the line, like there's a bunch of different players who they have this one really bad weakness in their game, but you look at like impact or like VORP or EPM and any of this stuff. And man, Pirtle definitely falls under that, you know, umbrella of that type of guy. But and Turner, the and this is something I've written about, something that interests me to no end. And also regarding like the is OG three and D this year stuff is like everybody is so obsessed with aesthetic and Miles Turner aesthetically looks like a way more pleasing offensive basketball player and he has like the dpoy kind of buzz around him when in fact that the utility of his offense doesn't outpace purdles by very much but it just looks way better it was like og was getting like 20 points a game damn near it just looks super funky and so people are like well it's three and d even though he's you know there's a ton of isolation there's a ton of this and that lots of handoffs lots of post-ups like not three and d stuff but just because he looks funny doing other things, everybody's like, I don't like it. Make it stop. Yeah. And I think that's the disconnect between Turner and Pirtle. And sometimes even front offices fall for that too, right? Like it happens all the time. Yeah, no, for sure. Like Turner's a very athletic guy or at least more athletic than Pirtle and he gets a lot of blocks. And so I think that's primarily the reason that he's in these defensive player of the year talks ahead of you know, a guy like Pirtle who maybe isn't getting the same amount of blocks, but has the same type of rim protection numbers. I would assume they're they're pretty close. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I think you've actually done a pretty good job convincing me that the center position is is uh, more important than the guard position. But I'll still say this, like, although they did have Goron and could have just been playing him right now. I mean, Mike Michael Grange went on Will Lou show and basically said that the Goron thing is serious enough in terms of his family situation. It's serious enough that he will likely not be playing basketball this season, regardless of where he's traded. You know, I don't know how true that is. We'll see past the deadline, but um, that could play into it. But I, you know, it's not like he was shooting the ball well for the Raptors in the little time that he played for them. So um, I still think that, a guard coming off this bench could also help in terms of a floor spacer and, and someone who could handle the ball at times when Fred's gassed or at the end of the game. But yeah, I've, I've kind of come around on the center being the more important position. Um, With that being said, where are you with like precious? Like, would you really try to hold on to precious if they made a deal for a guy like Turner or Pirtle? Or are you okay sacrificing his kind of long-term upside whatever it is um for for like immediate obviously help and and a good fit now yeah that's really interesting i think so the biggest thing is like how do you value Kem birch probably is the big thing i, I saw in the comments somebody said like Kem birch is worth 10 <laughs> times um what like the aforementioned players are and there is obviously some people who are very high on birch and you know Precious is also more laden with big mistakes than Birch's, but he's also his game is more laden with big popping plays. And Precious, I think, has had a, a better year defensively than Birch this year. I think that when Precious is out there, the defense is better than when Birch is out there. And the numbers also back that up, but you know, not everybody's into numbers. I think by my eye test, I watch every game, I see like the impact that Precious has on the defensive end. He's been the Raptors' best defensive big man. He's been better than Boucher. He's been better than Scotty. Um, you know, does Pascal really count? He plays a different, completely different schematic role than um, Precious does. But the thing is, you know, I talked about turning Precious as far as, 
you know, turning him into Rashawn Holmes or Turner or Pirtle is that when Precious gets those touches in the middle of the floor, and those are nothing touches, those just end up being like resetting the offense is that Precious, as far as the way he moves offensively and his decision making on offense, not a, let alone just, you know, missing dunks, missing lobs, missing layups, like his true shooting percentage is what, 44 percent, 45. It's really bad. But he also is kind of a stone wall for his teammates. You'll see. They'll clear out the side for a post-up. He'll cut into space and force his teammates into tough decisions. He'll take the route on the roll that completely blocks out his own player's lane to the rim. All these types of decisions he makes offensively and the fact that he cannot finish plays is terrible. The Raptors really struggle offensively because of Precious's limitations, but he also gives them their highest ceiling defensively because nobody on the roster can protect the rim the way that he does. And he also helps a lot defensive rebounding. So would I trade him? Yes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too afraid of trading precious as far as, especially if you're getting a guy like, you know, Rashawn Holmes back. Rashawn is under contract for three more years after this one guaranteed. I mean, if you want a good center and they're asking for precious and like, maybe the Kings like precious, whoever, right. Then I see you can do something like that, but it, it probably really depends on, you know, what you think of Kim is if Kim is healthy, is the center position quote unquote solved? And then you go looking for a guard instead. Like who knows, right? What do you think? Um, well, a few things there with precious, I would be really hesitant to give on out for him because yeah, like him and Kem have probably had similarly good seasons overall uh, when they've been on the floor, but precious is just so young and inexperienced. And I think people kind of discount the fact that he played like, 10 minutes a game last season with the heat. This is like a completely different role for him. He's, he's just so raw. And like you, you, you said it, like he messes up on offense all the time. His teammates are constantly telling him where to go to like an embarrassing degree. Uh, even, even with his limited experience. But if you believe that some of that stuff can be coached, which I do, you know, I look at a guy like Sergi Baca and just his offensive uh, progression since he got to the Raptors. Obviously, it's on the player to make those steps. But yeah, I, I, I just believe that the offense can come to a normal, a kind of average amount one day. And, you know, he obviously has the physical profile to be a real rule threat. It's just the hands and it's the timing. The screens are killing me recently. Like when you focus in on that, like he's not helping anyone get separation on screens. He's not timing the rules, right? It, it sucks. But yeah, I, I think some of it can kind of be coached into him. And I would just be really hesitant to give up a 22 year old who can switch out to ones legitimately stay in front of guards on the perimeter. Meanwhile, is a really, really good rim protector. You just don't find those type of players that easily. And so, yeah, I, I would, I'd be much more willing to give up from Kem just because, yeah, like Kem helps now, but Kem's not getting get better. And it's, I, and he can't stay on the floor right now. I have a, okay, I have an interesting, you and I were higher on Pascal than most than some media and most people who watch the Raptors, let's say. So I'm interested where you sit on Cam because there is from some parts of the fan base, like a real love affection for Cam and thinking like, if he just does this, if he just does that, like he'll end up being really good during the bubble season. Um, it was uh, this really, you know, they're like, Oh, he's shooting the corner three. That'll be in the bag next year. He'll shoot corner threes. He, he can't shoot. 
And also, like, the limitations of his game show up all the time. And so I'm wondering, and also keep in mind, like, Turner, Pirtle, Holmes, whoever, Birch has never, not once, had a stretch of games like those guys have or had a season like those guys have. He was given up on by the Magic. That doesn't mean he's bad. That doesn't mean he can't be good. But I, I wonder what you think about, like, his upside. I wonder what you think, like, how he factors into this team. Yeah, it's hard to judge because of the injury stuff since he's gone to the Raptors. But I think, like, if the Pascal comparison, if it was what we're going to use, there's a guy that's only made, po- you know, obviously an outlier case. But he's a guy that's only made positive progression up until, obviously, the COVID stuff. So when I look at Kem, I haven't seen that same type of positive progression like you said the corner three he he will not he's afraid to shoot it and it looks really bad when he shoots it and he's been with the raptors now for like a calendar year so you would hope that that's a skill that came along a bit i'm i would say precious's shooting is actually a lot more inspiring than kem's when it comes to the outside shooting um so yeah i just like i think kem's a good player and i just think he kind of is what he is right now I, i i don't really see a huge amount of progression and i also think like the injury cannot be ignored because i know right now he's out with a broken nose but that that knee stuff is pretty concerning it seems like an off-season surgery type of type of thing and then you never know what you're getting at the start of next season if he gets surgery this off-season on the knee so that that concerns me yeah i don't i don't love the upside when it comes to cam i think he's a good placeholder but i kind of think that's all he ever was if you know what i mean Mm-hmm. there's a there's a really interesting comment we get to talk about like kind of like uh just basketball stuff is like mike kamina says holmes doesn't space the floor which we need for siakam's isos and scotty's elbow jumper yes like not traditionally he does not space the floor at all but there's something interesting about um when we talk about uh gravity it doesn't just work to the outside of the court it also works to the inside of the court and the raptors should know this because of how the raptors have had to collapse on big men that's not gravity the way we've been taught in like the regular basketball media. Gravity is Steph Curry and Kyle Korver for the past 10 years. But Rashawn Holmes will generate tags from weak side defenders and he'll generate more movement to the strong side of the floor that will open up um, harder contests, more wide open shots for the guys on the weak side on skip passes and stuff like that. So there are different aspects of gravity that players can bring, especially big men. So I would be really definitely not saying you're wrong. Like Holmes does not space the floor traditionally like we think, but it would be super interesting to see how a it opens up Fred Van Vliet shooting and B it opens up weak side opportunities for the likes of OG or Scotty and stuff like that. Having a legitimate role guy who requires a tag like you see Fred Van Vliet tag guys all the time coming from the weak side to deter roles and stuff like that. That would be an interesting, whether it's Holmes or, you know, Pirtle, who is also yeah. similarly limited from three. It, th- that would be interesting to see. Yeah. And then like Pirtle's funny because we've seen Pirtle and Siakam succeed, right? In a Raptors mm-hmm. uniform. So, so I don't think it's like, yeah, people have brought the same concern to me when I've pitched Pirtle and it's like, he doesn't space the floor. Well, it's like, well, we know him and Siakam can actually play together. And Pirtle's a, like, I've watched more Pirtle than Holmes, so I, I know that Pirtle's a good example of a guy who's, like, brilliant in, in terms of how he finds open space on the floor and is always, like, moving and and helping, yeah, space the floor, even when he's not rolling to the rim. Like, he's a good cutter, and that's when we talk about Precious. He's making bad cuts. He's going, he's cutting into driving lanes, or he's cutting at the wrong time. 
just a center who who knows where to be would help this team immensely. And then add a real role to that, that's even more help. And then, sure, if you can get Turner on top of that shooting corner freeze, that would be great. Don't, like, get us wrong. That would help even more. But you don't need that in order to improve the offense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, like, you know, it's exactly why – I, I'll have a piece about it this week, I think, but it's like the Pascal and Scotty combination. I, I said it on the podcast, and then, you know, Pascal had five high-low feeds to Scotty in the first half of the Heat game. Like, Scotty's best synergistic partner in the on the team this year is not Fred. It's yeah. Pascal, even though on its face you'd think, like, okay, uh, they don't fit because neither is shooting, especially like above the break threes very well. Although Siakam has trended positively in that direction and Scotty's been up and down, but it's just about what you can, you know, get the defense to try and take away from you. And that's the whole thing is like both Scotty and Pascal require attention and detail from defenses. And if they don't do it, both can kind of play off of each other and do that. And that's where one of Pirtle or Rashawn Holmes can start to swim freely in all the space that Precious doesn't make good on. Like that that type of stuff. And and Kem is also much better at that. Like Kem slips into space. He he mirrors like the pace on the pick and roll as the the roller, but he's just not an explosive finisher. And obviously, like much of the comment section is saying he hasn't been healthy. And like that's that's a fair point. But also um the hypotheticals of his game. Um, you can't kick the can down the road that that far. It's um, you have to deal with like the the reality of who Kem Birch is at some point. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think like if you're gonna kind of take a swing on one of those guys, trying to help you in the short term, but also believe in them long term, I would de- I would try really hard to make that guy be precious because he has a role on this team right now as a defensive guy who can rebound. And in the future, you just never know what he could be with kind of the skill set that he already has. But yeah, I think that that about does it for me. Um, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I hope the Raptors uh, win some more games. And I hope for health for everybody on the roster. And yeah, it's it's been a really strange like week and a half, two weeks of basketball with some really high highs and some really low lows. So I hope everybody's been enjoying it. And I hope uh, I, I hope everybody enjoyed watching us talk about basketball because, you know, it's it's cool to be able to interact live with people. Typically, I'm just like, I go, I sit down in my room, I recap the game. So I hope the listeners who uh, typically watch the wrap up have enjoyed my presence here. And I hope the people who are used to the typical stylings of the reaction podcast enjoy yours, Oren. No, yeah, that was great. I've always wondered what um, it's like to record a, a, a solo pod. I've never done it. I always imagine just a dark room, candles, maybe. <laughs> Any yeah, of that I, going on? I've, I've done, I actually have a candle going right now. Um, nice. But as far as like what it's like <laughs> to record a solo podcast, the first time I did it, oh my God, it, it is so interesting to sit back and be like, okay, 20 minute monologue yeah. begins. And so obviously I talked with this when I was in Toronto and uh, Will Lou and I were talking about it, obviously, you know, it's, it's not very common, even like a lot of the people who do uh, <laughs> even a lot of people who do like podcasts afterwards, Raptors media is <laughs> considering the wrap up, Will Lou, myself, um, there's other people who do stuff like Raptors media is so like Raptors fans are spoiled with coverage, especially post game. But 
it is really interesting to kind of sit back and like good note taking and also like a comfortability with how you see the game is very important. It took me a while to get there, but you thinking it's an alien type of situation, like what the hell is going on? That is correct. It is a very weird thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah, because I've even recorded like intros to pods, you know, where you go back and like record something. And it's like even that is weird. Like just talking yeah. to a microphone by yourself. But yeah, no, this was this was great. Thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome whenever you want. Um, real quick, because I forgot to do this. Canamtax.com. Everyone, tax season's coming up. You got to do your 2021 taxes. Don't try to do it on no turbo tax. Don't try to flub the system and do it for free because you're not going to get any money back. So visit canamtax.com. They'll take care of everything for you. They'll get you that money you so desperately deserve back. And then maybe you can take a little vacation with your boo. So canontax.com. Our tax man of the night, we'll give it to Pascal Siakam, but we're not going to get into that. Anyways, thank you to Don Yang for producing this. Thank you to Samson so much for coming on. And we'll be back here on uh, Tuesday when the Toronto Raptors play host. No, yeah, play host to the Hornets, 7 o'clock. And then they go on a, a three-game road trip after that. So... Yeah, we'll be back here Tuesday. Thank you all for uh, joining us and commenting. And thank God that we're back on YouTube. Thank you to the YouTube, the Google people. No, I actually don't want to thank them. But yeah. All right. Bye.